Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise that today is your Lord's Day, that you've given it to us as a gift, that we can worship you, that you will uh, feed us. Father, we need, we need to be fed, we need to be built up, we need to learn again of your goodness and your grace toward us through your Son. And... Uh, So, Lord, we ask that you would uh, open our minds, that you would help us to hear, that we would uh, fix fix our minds, our hearts on things above. We pray that this day would be, uh, would refresh us because of uh, putting our minds upon you, entering into worship of you, the one true living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would bless us. Once again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're, we're studying uh, Christian rigor. <clears throat> Excuse me if I cough into my mic, but I'm sick, so it's likely to happen. I'll try to mute it, but I may not catch it. Um, <clears throat> Christian rigor. We started off last week, and this week is sort of another introduction, uh, just to get us into the topic. And so, any questions from last time? Any thoughts? Any concerns? Anticipations? What is rigor? We talked about that. Let's get that into our heads again. What is rigor, and is the Christian life supposed to have it? Well, I wouldn't be teaching the class if, if that were the case, if it weren't the case, but what is rigor? I really need you to talk today, because I can't say much. Please, please. <laughs> Uprightness, discipline, okay. Perseverance. Striving to enter the narrow gate. I like that. Scripture image there. Voluntary submission to pain. Rigor. Rigor is painful. Right, it is. It is going at. I mean, athletes know rigor because they, to in order to train for a race, in order to train for weightlifting, in order to train for uh, a, a season of 162 games, you have to hurt yourself in preparation. You have to build muscles. You have to train, and there has to be pain. Right. So does the Christian life involve any pain? Yeah, it's warfare. It's battle, right? It is 
a fight, if there is no pain in your Christian walk, well then you're probably just, I don't know, going with the flow. You're not trying to go upstream. You're not fighting against that indwelling sin. You're not, um, you're not being rigorous with yourself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. then you swim through the pain. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Strictness is rigor. Um, exactness without allowance, latitude, or indulgence. These are from Webster's 1828. Exactness without allowance, latitude, or indulgence. And so, Scripture is filled with exhortations, like I said last time, to holiness, to faith, to maturity, to pressing on, to growing, to increase, making progress. And that can't be done without a rigorous training, a rigorous uh, rigor with yourself. Rigor in the study of Scripture, rigor in trying to, uh, rigor in prayer, rigoring in trying to, um, in trying to love God by obeying His commands, which is the sermon text for today. So, um, spiritual lethargy is overcome by spiritual rigor. We talked about that. Right, spiritual lethargy. Um, I I'm taking much of this from Martin Lloyd Jones' spiritual depression, and again, his view and the the claim he makes throughout these sermons is that our spiritual depression is overcome not by cheap grace, but by Christian discipline, and that sort of takes some convincing, right? Not that we don't revel, not that we don't revel in our justification, not that we don't just praise God for his free grace. That's like the basis. We have to build that platform to stand upon. God is gracious and he forgives sinners. And he does it freely. Right? It's not by your works, it's not by your rigor. It's by his graciousness alone. That that's fundamentally the premise of all of this. But then once God calls us into his kingdom, puts the Holy Spirit within us, he says, okay, now live for me, grow in the faith, uh, put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit that lives within you. And so that is rigorous. Um, <clears throat> and so this, this isn't a class that's exhorting to works righteousness, Right, which would be to live in the delusion that our works merit our salvation. That's foolishness. That's not scripture. 
right? Your works cannot merit anything. Your works are filthy rags, and God must be gracious. The only merit we have is that which has been won by Christ and is applied to us by faith, okay? That's the only merit. But we're called to work hard in the pursuit of our sanctification. It, it's, um, in fact, it, we shouldn't even call it work hard. Why shouldn't, what, why is that sort of, why do I object to calling it work hard? Okay, not what I was thinking, but I hear you. Okay, I mean, that's getting there. Yeah, my yoke is easy, my burden Burthen is light. Yeah. Rod and your staff, they comfort me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good example, Jacob, Laban. Um, it, God is glorious. God is gracious. God has done the heavy lifting. God has supplied us with salvation. And so, who wouldn't want to continually express our gratitude and loyalty to the God who has saved us? It's our joy, right? That's, so, rigor should be our joy, working to honor Him and to um, obey His commands and to follow His will, right? That should be like, woohoo, this is wonderful. I get to be like Jesus, who saved me, right? And so it's, um, so it, it, we don't even want to, it, it should be, it should flow, rigor should flow from our love for God, not this view of, man, okay, I guess I have to serve God now, you know. It flows out of what He has done for us. It flows out of gratitude and loyalty and thanksgiving and, and love, Okay, and so the pursuit of sanctification should be our delight. It's our happiness. It may, uh, in this life, be our, or should be our greatest joy. Right? There are many things that the Lord gives us to enjoy, but, our, but pursuing our sanctification is actually putting our joy in Him. Right? It is to be like Him. It is pursuing godliness it is pursuing the attributes that he holds perfectly right and so the the fight is fierce but conformity to christ is or should be our delight and so um why a class on christian rigor again two things and again i'm i'm i i'm not very original i'm i'm stealing from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Why a class on Christian rigor? Two things, your happiness and your witness. That's the, two, that's the reasons you should go after it. It will, be, it will make you happy, and it will, 
it will be your witness to others of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lloyd-Jones says, unhappy Christians are, to say the least, a poor recommendation for the Christian faith. And there can be little doubt but that the exuberant joy of the early Christians was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity. The exuberant joy, as expressed in their um, pursuit of holiness, their pursuit of sanctification. And so a miserable Christian is an oxymoron. A miserable Christian should be. I've been pretty miserable. And, and that is a, a poor witness. It's sin. Right? It's a, it's a, it's a, a void of, of thanksgiving. It's a void of joy in the Lord. So unbelievers who, who observe Christians are to see hope, not misery. Hope. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. <clears throat> and so, um, so why pursue the, a life of rigor? Your happiness, I don't want to go through life depressed. And your witness, I don't want your unhappiness to be a detriment to, to, um, to your witness. So diligence rigor is the medicine to fight the common disease of spiritual depression. Second uh, Peter 1 is the verses that we've looked at before. Second Peter 1. Let me read these again, and um, hopefully they will sink in even further. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So that's all like, that, that beginning, right, is like, here's what God has done for you. He's supplied you with faith. He's granted to you everything that, that pertains to life and godliness. He's given you a true knowledge of Himself. You really know the Lord if He has worked in you and if He has put the Spirit within you. You really know God Almighty. You know this. All these things He's done. For, these, for by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now think of that verse. Wow. Right? Partakers of the divine nature. We have, we, we, it's hard to even conceive of what that means. Right? We're not becoming little gods. Right? We're not becoming, uh, you know, um, demigods or, you know, um, but, but we are becoming holy. Right? We are partaking of that nature. And we have escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. <coughs> and that's what God has done for us. 
He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Granted to us. Now, for this very reason also, this is where He pivots. Okay, having all these promises, now perfect holiness in the fear of God. That's how, he, that's how the Apostle Paul puts it in, in Corinthians. Now, for this very reason, given that God has done all these things, applying all diligence, there's the phrase, applying all diligence, give yourself to rigor, go after these things. Are you spiritually depressed? Uh, are you questioning whether there's a God? Are you, um, are you uh, weak? Well, perhaps it's because you are not applying all diligence. You're not availing yourself of everything that God has given to you for your sanctification. And we get lazy, right? Do you get lazy in your Christian walk? Do you? Yeah? Is it a chore to pick up your Bible and read it? And it's like, not again. Maybe fight it. We fight that, right? Memorize Scripture. Boring. You know, we, we, the flesh, the world, the devil, militate against us in this. But he, but he says, because you have this glorious, granted gift to you in God's grace, apply all diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so a fruitfulness in the true knowledge of God means you have increasing godliness. That's the proof that you are bearing fruit in keeping with, with, um, with his promises. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing you, right? Be diligent to understand what God has done in his free grace that justified you. Understand all of that, that foundation that's laid, and coming from that is practice. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So it's there, right? It's there in this passage, this rigor. Apply all diligence. We don't do this. We don't like to be rigorous with ourselves. And then we wonder why we have uh, difficulty. We wonder why um, we're so down. We wonder why our witness is so weak. 
Let me read again. I want to go back to that passage I was reading to you last time from Lloyd-Jones' sermon here um, because I didn't finish it, but I want to finish it. This is on discipline, and he, it's a sermon on 2 Peter 1. <coughs> I'll read the beginning to remind you. These people are Christians, but they are unhappy. They are most definitely ineffective. Their lives do not seem to lead to anything, and they are not helpful to other people. Not only that, he's talking about depressed Christians, right? Not only that, but they are not very productive as far as they themselves are concerned, and their faith does not fill them with joy and with certainty. They are barren and unfruitful. The words really describe them, ineffective in helping others and also lacking in knowledge and understanding. They are not growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Here is this tremendous knowledge and understanding that is available, but they have not got it. They have not advanced in it. They have not grown. They are unfruitful in that respect. In fact, though they are definitely and specifically Christian, they seem to have very little to show for it. Also, they seem to be failing to understand the meaning of their conversion. They seem to have forgotten the fact that they have been cleansed from their old sins and they are living as if they ha that had not happened. Now, all these things always and inevitably go together. When there is a lack of understanding and fruitfulness in this matter of comprehension, you will generally get a corresponding failure in the life, both respect to its own holiness and its usefulness and value to other people. Now, that is the description which the apostle gives of these people, and of course, we are all, alas, quite familiar with the type. It is the kind of man that you cannot deny as a Christian, though there is little in his life to show for it. He seems to be bound in shallows and in miseries. He does not give the impression of being as our Lord said a Christian would be when he received the Holy Spirit. Out of his inward part shall flow rivers of living water. No, the impression he gives is one of barrenness and unfruitfulness. Nothing is being fructified by him. He seems to be passing nothing on to others, and as regards himself, his life is weak and does not seem to be increasing and developing. The whole life seems utterly ineffective, and he is downcast and unhappy and shaken by doubts. He does not seem to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in him. He says he believes, and yet he is always in this position in which the very foundation of his faith seems liable to be shaken. Now, that is the condition which the apostle deals with here and which we are now considering. The first thing we have to consider is the cause of the condition. Why is it that anybody ever gets into such a state? There are Christians who correspond to this description. Why are they like that? Why are they unlike other Christians who are fruitful and whose lives are effective and living, life-giving? What is the difference? That's the question we must consider, and it seems to be perfectly clear that the apostle here tells these people very plainly that there is only one ultimate cause for all the manifestations of this depression, and that is a lack of discipline. <laughs> yeah. It's not the Bible, so you can disagree with it if you want. Yeah. Okay. And the 
Sure. That's part of... Yeah. Yeah. That's part of discipline, right? That's part of discipline. We can, we can view God's providence as a cosmic bummer, or we can view God's providence as coming from a God who only and ever and always does good. That's part of the rigor of the Christian life, is to accept His providence as good, because that's what Scripture tells us. Let me keep going. Where was it? There it is. That is the real trouble. It is a sheer absence of discipline and order in their life. But fortunately, again, for us, the apostle does not leave it at a general statement. The New Testament writers never stop at generalities. They always go further and bring out the details. They consider the problem point by point. And fortunately, the apostle does that in this particular instance. Why are these people lacking in discipline in their lives? And you should be, you should be saying, translate this, right? It's a sermon. Why am I lacking discipline? Right? Why is this slackness, this indolence, so apparent in their lives? The first cause seems to be that they have a wrong view of faith. <clears throat> now, this I find in the beginning of the fifth verse, where he says, And beside all this, for this very cause, giving all diligence add to your faith. Supplement your faith, furnish out your faith with the things which he then proceeds to mention. Now, there surely is a suggestion that they have a wrong view of faith. This is something which is very common. They seem to have had a kind of magical view of faith. The idea, in other words, that as long as you have faith, all is well, that your faith will work automatically in your life. And all you need to do as a Christian is just believe the truth. You must accept the faith, and having done all that, all the rest will happen to you. This is what we imbibe from our Christian American culture, right? A magical view of the faith right? Uh, decisional regeneration, right? Come down the aisle and your life will instantly change and everything will be good. You just have to have a card on the date in which you made this decision. It's a magical view of the faith, right? Instead, it's, yeah, walk down the aisle. Yeah, make a decision for Christ, but you better get in a good church and have somebody who's goading you on to make progress in the faith, right? to grow in the faith. Um, you must accept the faith, and having done that, all the rest will happen to you. Just, you just take one step. You make a decision, or whatever it may be called, and that is all that is necessary. I describe it as almost a magical view of faith or an automatic conception of faith, but perhaps I can put it in a different form. Very often there is what we must needs describe as a mystical view of faith. This certainly accounts for the trouble in many people. By a mystical view, I mean a conception of faith which always thinks of it as a whole. Putting it negatively, I mean that such people do not realize that faith needs to be supplemented by virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, as the apostle shows here. They have one formula only, and the one formula is that you always be looking to the Lord. Right? And you remember that section. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord, right? Believe the gospel more. That's the one evangelical pastors will only and ever, they won't tell you, okay, why don't you obey the Ten Commandments? Why don't you honor your father and your mother? They'll just tell you, believe the gospel more, right? Just, you got to believe the gospel more. And that's what he's talking about here. Let me skip that section. The second general cause of this condition is undoubtedly 
Nothing but sheer laziness or indolence, nothing but slackness, or to use the apostle's language, a lack of diligence. He says, beside this, giving all diligence. He's very concerned to impress that upon us, and so he repeats it in the 10th verse. I think we all know something about this. There's a kind of general indolence, right? It's a good word. It just means laziness, which afflicts us and is undoubtedly produced by the devil himself. Have we not all noticed that when it comes to things in the spiritual life, we do not seem to have the same zeal and enthusiasm, nor do we apply the same energy as we do with our secular calling or vocation, our profession or business, our pleasure or something we happen to be interested in? Have we not all noticed that when we have been working quite well, that somehow, if we turn for a season of prayer, we suddenly feel tired and fatigued? Is it not curious that we always become tired and sleepy when we want to read the Bible? We are fully persuaded that it is something purely physical and that we really cannot help ourselves, but it is as certain as anything can be that the moment we begin to apply ourselves to spiritual things, we shall immediately come face to face with this problem of indolence and laziness that afflicts us, however alert and energetic we may have been previously. Or take it as uh, or take it as it assumes the form of procrastination. We desire to read the Bible, we want to study it, we want to read a commentary, but we do not feel like it at the moment. We think it's a bad thing to try to do these things when we do not feel at our best. <laughs> and we had better put it off until we feel better. There will be a more appropriate opportunity later on. Or we have not the time or we lack the opportunity. How often have we all passed through this kind of experience? Then when the time does come, in a strange manner, we still find ourselves cannot, we still find we cannot apply ourselves. It is beyond dispute that most of us are living lives which are seriously lacking in discipline and in order and in arrangement. Never perhaps has life been quite so difficult for the Christian as it is at the present time written, you know, before computers. The world and the organizations of life round and about us make things almost impossible. The most difficult thing in life is to order your own life and to manage it. The reason for this is not that these external things really compel us, but that if we do not realize the danger of drifting and put up a stand against it, we will have failed without knowing it. There's so many things that distract us. You start with your morning newspaper. Many people start with two rather than one. But we start with a hundred, right? And then in a few hours come your evening paper or papers. Now these things are thrust upon us. Of course, we are not bound to buy a paper, but it is there and everyone else does so. Perhaps it is delivered at the door. The thing is put in front of us, and without our realizing it, there is something occupying our time. I need not waste time in detailing all these things, the wireless, the television, and the things we have to do, meetings to attend, incidents here and there, various problems that arise. The fact is that every one of us is fighting for his life at the present time, fighting to possess and master and live our own life. All pastors will agree with me when I say that there is nothing that one is being told more frequently today than just this. I do not know what to do. I do not seem to have time to read my Bible. 
and to meditate as I would like. I hear that all the time. He's right. Now, the simple answer to that is that it's sheer lack of discipline. It is a sheer failure to order our lives. It is no use complaining about circumstances. It simply comes back to this, and there is no need to argue about it. We all have time. <laughs> if we have time to do these things, we do. If we have time to do these other things, we do have to- the time. And the whole secret of success in this respect is to take that time and insist that it is given to this matter of the soul instead of to these other things. That is the second cause of the trouble, a sheer lack of discipline in the life, a failure to order our lives, to command and to control our lives as we know in our heart of hearts we should. That being the cause, let us turn to the treatment. What is the treatment prescribed by the apostle for this condition? It is just the reverse of the cause of the trouble. First and foremost, he emphasizes all diligence. Make every effort, according to another translation. That is, make every effort beside this, for this cause, in the light of these things, the exceeding great and precious promises that are given with all the things that appertain to life and godliness, and because you have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, because of all these things... Make every effort, giving all diligence, or as it is translated in the 10th verse, be more zealous than ever before to do these things. Here's the treatment then. The exercise of discipline and of diligence. (laughs) Man. (coughs) Right? Right? I mean, it's convicting, isn't it? If we have time to do so many things, clearly we have time to do that which appertains to our souls. We choose not to. And why is that? Is our love for God, has it grown cold? Perhaps. Perhaps our love has grown cold and so we just don't see the, we're just not motivated to. You know, or our love for the things, our love for um, Apple News has superseded our love for Almighty God. You know? One of the things that I've put into practice since the beginning of the year is to read 12 pages of a book each day. I'm reading a commentary. I'm reading Luther's commentary on Galatians. And it's just so helpful to my soul. It's all about justification. It's him just vamping on justification for 900 pages. And every day I go back to it and I don't read more than 12 pages. I read the 12 pages so that it's manageable. Right? But I do it And what I've found is I'm doing it instead of getting on my bed, putting my head on the pillow, and flipping through my phone, right? And so, is it helpful to read commentaries on Scripture? It's really helpful. Everyone in here should be reading a commentary on some book of Scripture to increase in your knowledge of the Lord. If you need suggestions, let me know, but but then read just, okay, um, 
I want to get through Luther's commentary on Galatians in 40 days. Right? And so that was the, it's about 400 pages, at least in the one I have. And so that's 10 to 12 pages a day, and so that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I left my book in the office last night and couldn't do it. I was like, oh man, it's a bummer. I wanted to get back to it though because it's been so good for me to read it. Right? You, you have to do things like that, right? Because what's, what's going to happen is you're just going to resort to the, to the things that are immediately before you, which is most definitely your, your devices. And whatever stew they're feeding you, right? And so pick up a commentary and, and remember this passage and, and pray that God helps you to be faithful because it'll be a fight for those 40 days till you get through the end, right? And then pick up another book. You know, um, this is just one example. We could do the same thing for prayer. We could do the same thing for, um, they're just, we have to, we have to do this work. Um, to, he, he says this, one paragraph, I'm not going to read a long passage. At the end of this sermon, this is the last part of this sermon on Second Peter 1, he says, if we are unhappy and depressed Christians, it is more than likely that it is all due to that lack of discipline. Okay, he, keeps cu- he just keeps coming back to that, right? And I think we need to hear that, right? If you're depressed, it's a lack of discipline. It's not because you're lacking vibes. It's, it's not because, you know, it, it, it's, it's simply because God has told you how he's going to speak to you and you're just like, nah, I think I'll go down these other routes. You know, and so you can go for two years without actually picking up his, his word and reading it devotionally. I think if we raised hands here, some of us, could say, yeah, that there have been two-year chunks in my life where I have not picked up the Bible devotionally. I'm sure. You know, it's easy to go six months. I've done it. I've done it since I became a Christian. Yeah. Lack of discipline. And then I wonder why the Christian life is so hard for me. Let us therefore be up and doing, and giving all diligence, let us supplement our faith and not be afraid. Let us get our ideas clear and then put them into practice and supplement our faith with this strength and vigor, with this knowledge, with this temperance, with this patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Let us begin to enjoy our Christian life and to be useful and helpful to others. Let us grow in grace and knowledge and so be an attraction to all who know us to come and join with us in the like precious faith and to experience the blessedness of these exceeding great and precious promises which never fail. Right? And so, um, again, like I said before, uh, Luther on, on Galatians is all about justification. And so it's all about the promises of God. It's all about what God has done for you. That he's taken the law out of the way. And he's been gracious to you, right? 
And it's building that foundation of all those glorious things that God has done for you. And then out of that flows this diligent life, right? And if you're depressed, it's not because God is pressing you down. It's because you're lazy. (laughs) And you are refusing to read all the glorious promises that he's like sending you in Scripture. You're just refusing them. Nope, that's not the medicine I need right now. I need to mope. Trust me, I am preaching to myself. I am not trying to rub your nose in anything. I am preaching this to myself. Okay? God has spoken. And God has done. And God has acted on your behalf. And you are precious. Your soul, your body, your being is precious to Him. And, and you, should, you should desire more than anything then to say, okay, God, I love you. Show me the way. Help me to get up and move on. Yeah, Sandy. Of course. I mean, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. And without faith, it's impossible to pursue any of these further things. Faith is the foundation. Faith, is, um, faith precedes any of this, this diligence, this work. Right? And without faith, it's sin. Whatever we would do. But with faith, these things are actually glorifying to God and fruitful and productive and not sin. It's glorious. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. It does not take long to establish routines. But we so often, we so seldom establish them because we're that lazy. I mean, just do something for a week every day at the same time, and you may establish a habit. But we so seldom do that. I mean, even a week's time every day is very difficult for us. Uh, It's difficult for me. So, um, but, the, but the times in my life when I've been most fruitful, looking back over the course of my Christian walk, is when I'm availing myself, when I'm disciplined. I mean, it's like, duh, when I'm disciplined. I was talking to Sarah last night, and Sarah's sick, has COVID, um, and a flare-up of RA, 
She's going to hate me for mentioning this. Hi, Sarah. But it's not about her. It was about me, and, and I, I was just, I was saying to her that when you're sick, when your body is suffering, it's so easily for your thoughts to go to places that are horrible. And we have to constantly be inputting the Word of God, like really the Word of God, not just vague remembrances, but going to the Word of God, remembering His goodness, and preaching it to ourselves. And when all those bleak thoughts come into your head, you have to actually force them out of your head with the Word of God. And, and I told her, I don't want to go to places that I've been in my Christian walk, and so I have to be diligent. I have to really fight on this. I really have to be inputting Scripture. And the minute I don't is the minute I'm suffering. And it just is discipline, right? It's diligence. And it's so silly. We'll take a multivitamin every day and neglect the Word of God. <laughs> what in the world is wrong with me? Right? All right, any final question or comment? Yeah, Scott. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. He looks to and fro about the world for those whose hearts are, what, how's it go? Those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. And that means constant pursuit, constant delight, right? Constant delight in pursuing the things of God and, and his holiness. Let's, uh, we got to be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your justifying grace. We ask that you would forgive our pursuit of so many things and our neglect of, of pursuing the knowledge of you. And we pray that you would, by your Spirit, work in us a, a, a spirit of diligence. That we truly would believe that you are and you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And that we would do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.